Welcome to the Global Sales Mentor Podcast for conversations that drive growth. When you are ready to grow your international sales, join the conversation with your host, Zach Selch. Hi, welcome back to Conversations That Drive International Sales. And I have here my friend, the exhibition guy, Stefan, who is uh, really um, the, the guy to go to to talk about international exhibitions. And so we've talked about a lot of other people. We've talked to a lot of other people who deal with various tools that you're going to use to grow your export. But we all know that trade shows and exhibitions are one of the best tools you have. And this is the guy to talk to about it. So welcome. Thank you very much. We've known each other for a while, uh, not necessarily as as real in-life friends, but you know, we've been talking and chatting about this field for a while. So it's great to have you on the on the podcast. Thanks a lot. Yeah, it's a pleasure, Zach. And it's, it's, it's funny. It's a new type of friendship, I think, these days. It starts on Zoom. Every great relationship starts on Zoom. It, it, exactly. But uh, but I'll tell you what, it used to be that people I met on, on LinkedIn, I'd probably meet, you know, within six months or a year, I'd probably end up having a beer or a meal with them some point. And now oh, I know more and more people who... I, I, I've been dealing with them on a regular basis for two years and I've yet to have a beer with them. So yeah, it's, it's I, I miss that like, part. So let's talk a little bit about what it is exactly you do. And then we'll talk a little bit about what's changed. Cause I think we're both in a situation where what we do has changed a lot in the past year, but it'll change back. I'm not, I'm not, you know, saying that anything is, is going away. So tell us a little bit about, about what you do and especially how that helps people grow their international sales. Yeah, well, of course, it's great to be here. I suppose the exhibition guy, where it comes from really is, I spent the past 27, 28 years in exhibitions, both managing shows in Ireland, UK and internationally, managing exhibitions for somebody else. And I also have my own business running actual shows. But the biggest, the biggest thing I came across a lot of the time with and this is this is not an irish or a european thing this is a worldwide thing is people would arrive at exhibitions and they wouldn't have a plan they'd just rock up to the venue and assume it would all happen and i hate that i hate that yeah and it's just it used to frustrate me because you, you know as a salesperson in exhibitions we'd invest all this time in our, in our exhibitors we'd want them to do well we'd give them the tools to do well but they just arrive to do nothing. And then what they do is they take the easy way out and blame the exhibition organizers and say the show was rubbish. Uh, I got no business from it. And, and, I, and a case in point, I suppose, was uh, I was one of my clients or one of my very first clients. I, I remember he was doing exhibitions. And I said to him, I said, how many, sorry, he sold high-end kitchens. So a pretty uh, decent product range and price he was making. I said, how many inquiries did you get from that exhibition? And he said, I think he, at the time, he told me 127 inquiries. Now, that's a lot of kitchens, by the way. Um, but I said to him, and how many of them did you chase up? Ah, listen, I got too busy when I come back after the event and I didn't chase them up. And I said, and then, then he proceeded to tell me how bad the event was. And I, I kind of go, well, it obviously wasn't that bad if you got the inquiries. He said, well, I got no business from it. I said, well, what did you do actively to chase those people after the event? He said, well, not, nothing really. I said, like, therein lies the problem. So I suppose what happened for me is, being in the exhibition industry for so long, it used to frustrate me seeing people waste their money on booking stands or boots at exhibitions and not actually following through and getting the thing that they really want. And that's the business from the show. Right. So 
It's really commonplace, Zach. There's about 70, in fact, it's 68% of people will go to an event without plan at all. And, and, huh? and to be honest with you, you're just not going to get anywhere with that. So, well, oh, yeah. Is, in another example, the last show I worked on as a salesperson, I put a, invested a lot of time in, in one particular company. And ironically, they were selling high-end kitchens as well, just purely as, as, as uh, by the way. And what happened was he'd spent about 20K with me, 20,000 right. euros on the space. Right. Right. Such a amount of money. And he spent a further 50,000 on the stand. So it's, he was in for 70K. And the travel, how many guys did he have on the on the booth? In this particular case, it was based in Dublin. He was from Dublin, but he had, he had I think, four people on the stand with him or the booth with him. So yeah. that's, they could have been doing something else, right? So he's pay, paying for them. Yeah, it's, Absolutely. anyway, sorry, I interrupted you. Go on, yeah. No, 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 it's a, good, it's a good question. He incorporated all these costs and it was one of the shows that I worked on that was incredibly successful and everyone wanted to rebook. It was a launch show we did. And, and this guy was just, he was irate on the last day of the show. The show was really bad, rubbish, got no business from it. So I sat down with him and like most good salespeople, I'm a listener, so I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to ask him right. some questions, and I'm going to hear his opinion. Because what my opinion doesn't matter right now, because there's no point in me, and you know this, Zach, in sales, there's no point in me telling him he's wrong. Right. It's, it's, it's his situation. Anyway, long story short, I said to him, what kind of planning did you do? And he, he, did, he looked at me blankly. He said, no, how do you mean? Like, what kind of plan? I said, well, did you plan for what you wanted to achieve from this? He said, no. I said, did you set any objectives or anything specific? He said, no, no. So, okay, what marketing did you do? We, we had a chat and he said, well, I thought you might be doing that. And I said, well, it's our job to bring people to a show, but it's your job to bring them to the stand. And so the last question I asked him was, I said, who is working on the stand with you? He said, I've got four guys from the warehouse. So I go, well, they're not salespeople, they're warehouse people. That's they're a different skill set. He said, oh, yeah, the sales guys are away on holidays or something like this. So it really frustrated me to see him absolutely waste his money. <laughs> And, and oh. it struck me at that very moment, Zach, that for somebody who's been in sales for so long, both through exhibitions and Yellow Pages, that I have a background in selling, obviously, but I'm also very passionate about people doing business. I'm passionate about this whole doing well from, from events. So I set up a company called The Exhibition Guy to specifically work on a really simple principle called Seven Steps to Exhibition Success. So the uh -huh. key things you need to do when you're exhibiting at trade shows. Now, I've delivered this all over the world from the point of view is none of these things are unique to Europe, to the States, to India. It doesn't matter where they are. The principles of exhibiting and doing international business remain the same. There may be some slight differences of cultures, but essentially the principles are the same. So I, I set up the business and I work with exhibition organizers training their clients, which is the exhibitors, on how to exhibit properly. Now, the reason we do that is in our industry, we probably lose about 40 to 50% of our clients every year for various different reasons. And that's that's a crazy amount of, no business should be losing that amount of clients per year. Right. So what we do is we educate them on how to exhibit better. So the retention is better for the organizer, the exhibitor does better, and then the visitor obviously is, is happy because he's done better at it. So that's essentially what we do, and we do that globally. I I, I, I'll tell you what, what, what you are saying there is so correct. And, and I always say, and, and I say this to people all the time, I'm like, most of the people I know who do the type of work I do, do it wrong. And, and it sounds really arrogant, but, but that's exactly it. You go to a show. I basically say to people on my team at a show, I say, this is costing us 
$11 a minute. This is costing us $13 a minute. This is costing us $9. And it's always in that range. It's never less than about seven, seven bucks a minute. It can go up to 20 bucks a minute, right? For the time on the show. So if you have a problem and that take that problem takes you 25 minutes or half an hour to solve that problem. I mean, even something stupid like your, you know, your water cooler tips over and, and you have to clean it up, something stupid like that, that could be $300 right there of wasted time on the booth. Not to mention the flip side of that is you say, well, it's our intention to do $6 million worth of business on this, this week, right? So every minute you should be selling, you know, 50K, right? I mean, you're losing money and people don't get that. And the whole idea of bringing the wrong people. Um, the other thing that I do, and uh, I started with a company about, I joined a company as the head of sales uh, 10, 15 years ago. And the first show we went to, I put out a 25-page briefing document for the for our main trade show. And somebody at the company, the head of marketing, said, you know, I've never seen anything like this before. And I said, well, I said, I'm going to be spending about $13 a minute on this show. My anticipation is I'm going to bring in all this, this revenue from the show. I want everybody going to the show to know what they're supposed to be doing. And before I get on a plane, I've told everybody what hours they're working on the booth. Because, you know, we, we, I don't want to do all the talking, but I'm like, no, you, right. you know, you go, you take a group of Americans to Berlin for a week. You can bet your ass somebody's going to want to go sightseeing, right? So if you give them a two-hour time slot to go sightseeing, you know they're not going to run away from their duties, right? If you say to them, okay, these are your hours you're on, but I'm giving you a, a two-hour time slot every day to, to go, you know, to go jogging, to get some exercise, yeah. to see the city, yeah. right? So I plan all of that out, all of that stuff. The other thing that I do is I always, I, my personal time is set up so that I have virtually no free time at any given day. I have meetings set up if I'm going to a four-day show, I probably have 32 meetings set up, right? Now, I'll also leave a couple of time slots open for something that might happen. Some of those meetings will change. People will be late, whatever. But I'm not getting on a plane and flying halfway around the world and spending all that money without a plan. I mean, who does that, right? But this thing, would you be surprised? Because a lot of people do do that. And this is why... Mm. This is why exhibitions people will look at exhibitions i mean if you take in, in the harsh reality of it is exhibitions are probably the most expensive form of advertising you're going to do if you get them wrong right but they cheap. could also be the best return on investment they absolutely are i was just going to say they are absolutely the best return on investment if you get them right because no matter what way we want to talk about it face to face understanding somebody seeing them face to face and understanding body language and things that are incredibly important in sales in general but specifically in exhibitions right where is he and you don't know for example who's going to walk on your stand because it could be somebody who's really interested or it could be somebody right. who's what they call a tire kicker in other words they're not really interested in buying at all you need to be able to manage that audience you, me, you know what i love are the guys who come into your booth they look around and they go what do you sell i want to be your distributor you know yeah. and you're like okay you are totally worthless get out of my booth <laughs> no no but you see you're so right with saying because if you go back to your plan as i say to people when it comes to planning for an exhibition 
Right. You don't have to make it complicated. It needs mm. to be at sales, marketing, and operations. Those are the right. key features of your, of, your, of your plan. And what I'm saying to companies is, when you have a plan and you say to yourself, this is what we want to achieve by exhibiting an XYZ show, then you're focused on achieving it. Now, I talk with clients and say, well, many objectives you have, so we want to sell lots of products. Now, that's not an objective because it's not right. measurable because you don't know whether you're going to hit, hit it or right. So what I'm saying to people is the critical point two, sorry, the first point of, of the seven steps is having that written plan. One, right. One to two page written plan, you can have a 20 point. And, and it should be, usually it's something like, well, my first thing is I have set meetings, right? I'm meeting all my distributors. Absolutely. My second thing is I am interested in finding a distributor from these three countries. I, all these other countries are full. So if somebody comes in from India, give them a cup of coffee, thank them for coming by, get rid of him. But if somebody comes from Nigeria, make sure I meet with them, right? And, and, that's, and that's in my plan. Right. right. Because the second the second st- step in the seven steps is this idea of, not, of setting three clear objectives. So it's not about setting one objective. I want to sell X amount of product or service. Right. Or, so you set your three clear objectives. Now, obviously, revenue can be one of them, but it could be I need to get a new distributor in Nigeria. It could be right. I want to find a new one team member of my team. But the key right. is that we have those three objectives because when we when we set three objectives, we're very focused on achieving them. Now, what happens is in the world of sales and the world of exhibitions, we talk about this um, thing called ROI, return on investment. That's great, but, and, and it is a big but, if we hang our hat on an exhibition on a number, saying we're going to sell right. 500,000 or 222,000 or whatever the figure is. If we ha- don't hit that number, we come back to the show and say it wasn't a success. Now, that's right. not the reality. So we talk about in exhibition right. terms is what we call return on, on objectives. So it's ROO as opposed to ROI. And ROO is where you set those three clear objectives. Yes, I want to do 500 grand, but I also want to get one new staff member, or if that's your thing, right. I want to appoint one new distributor in Nigeria. Now, when you right. come back from the show and you haven't hit your revenue number, but you're very close to it, you've achieved the right. two other things. Well, but I'd also say that your show isn't about two-week revenue. It's about year revenue, Absolutely. right? If you're, do, in my opinion, so I typically do three show, three big shows a year, right? Yeah. And But those are every year. I've been doing the same three shows for almost 30 years. And I look at them as driving revenue over the course of the year. I, I'm not going to come back from a show with a million bucks worth of purchase no, orders. Nobody does. Right? It, it doesn't right. work that way. It, yeah. That's what I say. And people always say to me, say, well, how many sales am I going to get? And I say, well, you can't. Like, how long is a piece of string? Like, right. You're not going to walk away from trade show floor with the big bag of orders unless right. you're in something. Unless you thing. sell like, you know, car mats or something like that. Right. Yeah. Then you're assessing it based on the, uh, the number of consumers right. who bought off your booth. But in reality, right. in trade shows, we've got to set those three clear objectives. The next one we look at is and really important is and it's a really critical piece is how we market ourselves before we exhibit. Because like I come back to the example I gave earlier on. I, I like what you said about you bring people to the show, but the exhibitor brings people to their booth. I think that's 100% true. It's so true, Zozak. You see, and that, that's what I was going to say, because if you look at it at the moment, exhibition organizers take me on board to talk to their exhibitors on exhibitor days face to face. And they want me to say this because the reality is that they find it difficult to say that to their clients. Rightly or wrongly, they find it difficult to say it to right. their clients. I will get up and I would say to somebody, it's your marketing budget, it's your money you're spending, so how you spend it is up to you. Now, obviously, you want to get the best return. Yes, of right. course, as organizers, we bring people to the event. That's what we right. do. 
But when, when it comes to bringing people to your stand or one of the 500 other stands in the hall, that's your responsibility. And that comes down to the marketing way you market yourself beforehand. Right. I and mean, I did some work for um, UBM, very big exhibition company, right. on 12 things you need to do when you're marketing yourselves. And I won't go to them all because they bore you. But, but what I will say to you is, it should be in this day and age, a 70-30 split between 70% of your marketing should be online and 30% of your marketing should be offline. Most right. companies these days say, oh, everything's online. That's fine. But don't alienate the piece of the other people, whether that's through networking meetings, through posting invitations in right. the mail or whatever it might be, because they're yeah. an important backup for it. And I'll tell you what, the, so walk-ins are almost related to the design of your booth and the location of your booth within the hall. Yep. Now, if you are, if, if you're a first time or the first five-year exhibitor in a good show, you have almost no say of where you're going to be in the hall, right? Because they're going to put you Wherever. not necessarily in the best place until you get a little bit more seniority. Yep. Now, the difference between a pretty good booth and a rock star booth could be fifty thousand dollars, right? Yeah. So if you if you say the way I'm going to go to the show, I'm going to sit there, and people are going to come by, and they're going to love my booth and come in. The only way you're going to achieve that is through a lot of money. But yeah. two or three weeks of reaching out to people. Like, you know, you send out a mass mailing to all your clients and you say, by the way, I'm going to be at the, I'm going to be at this booth uh, on such and such a day. We have a new product. We'd love to show you. Can we set an appointment with you? What does that cost you? A couple of hours of, a, of an admin's time, you know, some, uh, it, it's nothing, right? And, and again, so, so you're basically saying, okay, I throw $50,000 on having a clown on my uh, booth and, and making it three stories and giving out beer and popcorn, or I send out an email beforehand. What's the better use of my money? Because it is so true because somebody, people often say to me when I, sell, when I used to sell exhibitions, they say, well, I want to stand at the front of the show. And I go, okay, just, just tell me why you want to stand at the front. So we want to be the first, people, first company that people see when they walk in the door. Now I go, okay, well, let me just give you my experience here. That's not a good idea. And I'll tell you why. Because what tends to happen at trade shows, people walk in the door and they keep walking. So they're going to walk straight past you. So we want to be in the center of the hall. But my, my fourth, I suppose, tip on the on uh, of the seven steps is exactly about what we're talking about here is how do we get our, our booth, our stand, as we call it in Europe, how do we get it, people to our stand and engage them? Well, if you take a statistic, when, it, when, an sorry, when a visitor walks in, to an exhibition and walks down the aisle of a trade show, they decide within four seconds if they're going to stop in your stand. Four right. seconds. That's that's across the board. Now, what you've got to think about is how do I engage that client in the first four seconds? Yes, of course we can use our people, and we'll come back to that in a moment. But we also have to think about the stand design. And um, there's a couple of key metrics here. The first one is your 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 graphics that you use with your text or whatever or pictures or whatever it might be of it. They need to be re re readable and visible from 15 to 20 feet away. Really important. People right, exactly right, right. Strong use of color. The second part of that is you need to have about 60% of your floor space that you have on the ground free for visitor access. So in other words, they can right. walk in and out of the stand. And the third one is, and really important is your people. Your people need yeah. to engage. They don't sit down reading a newspaper or texting. <sighs> 
I, I used to say, like, you know what they say at McDonald's is if you have time to, cl- to lean, you have time to clean, right? I always used to say you can't. And, and nowadays it shows how long I've been doing this. I used to say you can't smoke, eat, drink or sit on my booth. If you want to do one of those things, yeah. take a break as scheduled and get off the booth. Right. Yep. Yeah. Because if you walk it's by and you see somebody time. sitting there checking email, you think, well, they obviously have a lot of time. They're not engaged. And you keep walking. You engage that. And it's, yep. You keep walking. The other thing is, and a really simple example I would give to people is, when I had my daughter and my kids, but when I had my daughter specifically, and she's about three or four years of age, someone said to me, said, if you want to have a conversation with your daughter and you want to take her seriously, you want her to take you seriously or you've got something to talk about, you needle. So in other words, you're eye to eye. That's the right. point. Now, when you're at a trade show, very similar example. When you're at a trade show and you're a visitor and you walk up to a booth and the person is sitting down and you're looking down at them and they're looking up at you, that's not an equal relationship. It's right. also, from a visitor's point of view, quite off-putting because they think, am I put, I'm putting Zach off or am I disturbing him from reading his newspaper? Oh, right, it's right. It's not meant to be that way. You should be standing and engaging. Open body. I, I have a friend who's pretty crazy and at trade shows, he does like little uh, magic tricks, Right. So he stands in the aisle and he's, you know, pulling a quarter out of your ear as you walk by and stuff like that. Right now, in the end of the day, I don't know how much business it gets that thing, but he's engaging people all day long. He's standing there talking to people, engaging people. I was saying um, a while back, I hate to pull this off to a different direction, but I was in a market in uh, Accra in Ghana. And I'm walking down the hallway and everybody, you know, everybody is trying to get your attention. And um, this one guy said to me something total, like asked me a question totally unrelated to his goods. And it stopped me, right? And I thought, well, this is the guy I might, you know, everybody has the same stuff. Maybe I'll buy from him because he had a good engaging. He wasn't just saying, you know, I'm, I have cheap stuff. I have cheap stuff. I have cheap stuff. He asked yeah. me a question about about my about my experience, and then we started talking. And in the end, I bought from him. Right? You see, it's got to be different, Zach. Because like, you see, it's like I say to people: you go to, you go to exhibitions, and and, you, and everyone is doing the same thing, or everyone's selling the same thing. They're saying the same line and stuff. I mean, that that's not engaging because that's just repeating right. lines that everyone else is saying. It's what we've got to be in life is different. I mean, I, I wear odd socks. People, it's, it's right. one of my trademarks. People say, Oh, you wonder what socks you wear today. Now, slightly different example, but my point is when we're different and when we can come out with something that's actually engaging, like your magician right. or the, that right. you can stop somebody. Now, the next step is can you take that to the next level of engagement? But that's the key right. to sales, and you and I both know that. Right. Is you get somebody's attention, or you build rapport with them, or a relationship right. with them before you talk about anything to do with what you're selling. Right. We talk about we understand them now if your magic trick idea works and stops me and i go geez that's a great trick it was amazing and then right. i turn around to zach and say what do you do by the way zach and zach says well i do this amazing training and i go tell me about your training and then uh, right. we're into a conversation that's what that's exactly is. it right it is absolutely 100 percent. people come to exhibitions to buy not to be sold at so right when i go to when i talk to people about tip number five i say to them Interesting. What is the worst question you can ask an exhibitor can ask a visitor at a trade show? And the answer is, can I help you? Why is it a bad question? Because you know what the answer is. So right. really simple, 
what we say to people is put the word how in front of that sentence and you're totally changing the dynamic and you're getting into a conversation, which is what we're right. trying to do. We're trying to get into a conversation with people because right. that's where the engagement, rapport, relationship begins. Then we talk to about our sales products or whatever. And going back to what you said about uh, preparation, right? I used to add to, like when I do a trade show prep uh, document, right? A briefing document. I say, these are the three questions you should be asking people when they come in, right? Because I don't want to leave that to chance. Because again, if you're, you know, everybody has different skill levels. It's Great. important that we understand that as well, because it's, it's, when it comes to selling at trade shows, it, it's, it's different, yes, because you've got to be reactive, because you don't know who's going to walk onto the booth. Right. You, you could, if you're in a lucky position where you have a queue of people who want to talk to you, that's even better. Right. But even with that, the challenge there is, how do you manage that audience? Because very often, a lot of these people won't be interested and never buy a few. Anyway, they just want a free brochure or free right. pain or whatever it is. Whereas we need to manage the audience and that's what it, there's a certain amount of churn that's necessary off your stand, as you mentioned earlier on, because right. time is money. Right. Yes, of course, right. we want the relationship. But ultimately, your success by large is going to come down to what the objectives you achieve by exhibiting. Right. And you don't do that by just having the yarn with somebody for, for four or five hours. I'm thinking it's great. And I'll tell you something that um, that you might not have heard somebody say about what they do at trade shows. But typically, building a community of distributors is extremely important to me, right? In terms of my, my business model, right? I want, I want to be the number one uh, supplier for each of my distributors, right? Yep. So what I do at a trade show is I take a quarter of the booth and I make it into a distributor lounge, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. And what I do is, so so a lot of these trade shows are in cold weather. And you know what yeah. happens? The cloakroom has an hour waiting time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I make sure I have a closet and I say to people, hey, you can drop your coats off at my booth. And then I know they're going to come by my booth twice a day. And then I put, and then I put two couches and a coffee machine and a water machine in a booth in a in a section of the booth which holds about six to eight people which means yeah. that at any given time i'm going to get anywhere from five to ten distributors resting in my booth right Absolutely. and so i'm not selling them anything i'm not like all i'm the the objective is that by the end of that show they are going to become that much more bonded to me right Definitely. So it's that's it's another objective, right? But it's not necessarily that they're going to give me a purchase order. It's just another objective. No, but it's like he said earlier on, Zach. And you're right. I mean, if, if you're talking about getting a PO, getting their purchase order, we don't we don't get a lot of those at shows. You get idea, you, right. you get a, an idea. I might give you a purchase order, but the reality is, as with all sales, I mean, it's it's about building relationships. It's about building, right. getting, getting that connection and building that connection over time. I mean, and for me, because if you look at it, if you take another statistic from the exhibition industry, which was my last point, was was that 81% of leads from trade shows are never followed up. That's a fact, by the way. Now, right. I understand why it happens. People come back, they've been on a show for a week between the build-up and, and strip out of the show, and they come back to the office, they've been busy, they right. travel a lot probably, and they get caught up with what happened when they were away. And yeah. the reality is, 
that happens all the time. People say, oh, it does, it does, but it's it's a real shame, yeah. But it's, the problem there is that, they, and they do what they do is, and I, I could see it in slow motion happening. They say, okay, I'm going to chase those leads tomorrow. I'm back on Monday, I'll chase leads from Tuesday. Tuesday comes, and then suddenly there's another meeting or they've got to go right. out to do something. And then they say, I'll chase them on Wednesday. Now, it's like the, the movie says, tomorrow never comes. It literally never comes. But the biggest issue there is that in three weeks' time or four weeks' time, and they go, I never chase those leads up. And they go back to them. And the leads don't seem as hot anymore. And even when they do chase up the leads, the guy says, oh, I thought you'd forgotten about them. You went and bought off a competitor or whatever it might be. Now you're well, saying the truth. Because he also up. talked to two of your competitors at the same show, probably, exactly. right? He didn't just come to your booth. Absolutely. And it's really important that we do. So what I say to people is, you need to set yourself a back and office show day. And this is, you know, where you come back to the office and all you're focused on is chasing up the leads or queries from the show, whatever it is, get them done or delegated or whatever way it works and get, get them in motion to be followed because they need to be followed up within six days as a maximum. Now, that's not to say you're going to get an order in six days, but you're right. maintaining that contact in six days. If you're in a really lucky position where you get loads and loads of leads and you can't physically chase them within six days, you need to email them within a maximum of 48 hours saying, right. great to meet you. I'm going to be in touch with you at the end of next week or whatever it might be. But what you're doing is you're continuing that contact all the time. Well, and I'll tell you what, we're... I'm old. I'm not going to say anything about you, but I'm old, right? And and things have changed that make this easier, right? So it's not like you don't have to be taking a business card and stapling it to to a piece of paper and writing some details and putting it in a box and hoping some admin. You can take your phone, take a picture of the card, populates an app. Yeah. And generates an email, right? You can do that. And you can do it on the booth. And then at the end of the day, you can basically say, okay, send out that email that says, thank you so much for talking to me. I will get back to you within, you know, five business days. And then gives you a reminder. And then the next week, you, you can do that. It's, you know, $3 on the app store, right? And it, it really drives me nuts when people don't do something that somebody has gone out and built a tool to make it so simple to do, and then you don't use it, right? But you see, the, the problem there is that, and it's and, and unfortunately, common sense isn't very common. But hmm. uh, and what frustrates me in, in a lot of ways is is that you you know we explain these concepts to exhibitors, yet they still don't do it, right? And, I, and but what they will do then is they'll 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 say, oh, it was the exhibition organizer's fault? Those shows rubbish and all, and it's just. It's no, it, and, I, and I say it sometimes, I'm very straight up with people. I say, no, actually, it was your fault, not theirs, because you didn't chase right. the leads. And, you know, I can, you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, as the expression right. says. And it's it's absolutely critical, because what we've got to understand is that, on this really simplistic terms, I say to a client, I say, when you get an order at a trade show of, for X amount of product, whatever it might be, let's call it $10,000 worth of product, for our right. sake. So that's not an order for ten thousand. That's actually an order for about sixty thousand or seventy thousand or eighty. Right. That's that's orders. that's a sample order. That is your first taste. Yeah. Absolutely. And if you treat your clients well, they come back and will buy more and more. So don't look at exhibitions as a way of getting a sale in isolation. Because what right. I do is I have a second company as I call the sales training guy, which is specifically on sales training. And what I always say to people, we've got to look at the, the lifetime value. Right. We've got to look at the value we're providing our customers. Um, 
But my point is that we need to look at the value of clients over time. Yeah, I know what it was actually. I say to people, we're not going out chasing sales. Sales are great. Right. We're chasing clients. What we're doing is we're going to get a sale on board. And we're going to turn that into a client because right. that's the value of business over over a longer term. And that's oh yeah. You know, you, you know, do you know, people, um, yeah. do you know Marcus Cowsey? Marcus no. Uh, never mind. He's a he's a, a he has a podcast on selling and, and he's a pretty serious sales trader. And he and I are pretty good friends. And we talked a while back and he pulled something out of out of something I said. And he goes, because I said, I'm doing business with people I've been doing business with for 30 years. And typically the only way I stop doing business with somebody is when they die. And so Marcus was like, yep. You know, you're in Zach's network until you leave in a box. And that's the way you got to look at it. If you do it right, you are looking at doing business with somebody, not just for, you know, one PO and not just for 10 POs. You could be doing business with them 25 years from now, right? 100% agree. Because if you you look at the reasons why suppliers move from, sorry, why salespeople or businesses lose lose clients each year, Hmm. 86% 86% of the reasons are within our control. It's how we treat the clients, how we value them. Now, there's obviously people die, people move away. They're ones right. that can't necessarily do it about. And the market changes, products yeah, change. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with good selling and good account management, we can control. I think I think those numbers make perfect sense. I'd say, yeah, you're you know, that that 86% in our control makes perfect sense. You see, we could do that. I mean, it's like I say, I, I train, I train probably on an average month, I probably train 50 salespeople for a one in one particular company. Um, it's it's called the Entrepreneurs Academy. It's it's young companies just setting up. I train about 50 people right. every month on average. And I say to them, sales is not complicated. Right. In fact, if anything, as salespeople, we overcomplicate things. We've got to make understand the basics of what sales is. Sales is a conversation between two people to come up with a solution. And right. If the, if the solution or the problem isn't obvious, we may have to create a problem. And I don't mean right. I don't mean that in an underhand way. We may need to highlight the problem. And I like to say we want I want to isolate and uh, accent the problem because I look at it like your customer has fifty problems he's dealing with, and I can only solve one of them. Yeah. Right. Now, if this morning his wife asked him about a problem or his boss asked him about another problem, those are the two problems he's most thinking about. He's not thinking about my problem. So if I can say to him, if I can bring to his attention the problem I solve, I can isolate it and I can clarify the importance of solving that problem, that's that's part of my job, right? Of course, it is. I'll give you a really simple example. I, 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 before COVID, I went to London and I met an exhibition organizer and I sat down with him. We had a coffee and I said, OK, we got into the general chit chat. And I said to him, say, how many salespeople have gotten your company for selling exhibitions? He said 10. So I'm now asking him the next question. I asked him, how many of them are working out? Because I know invariably, as Murphy's Law would have it, so at least one of them is not working out, if not more than that. Right. And he said to me, three of them aren't working out. OK, so I said, OK, I'm going to ignore the seven for a moment. Right. Seven, they're doing great because that's not a problem for him right this very second. Now, maybe there's other problems, but that's not a problem. Right. So tell me about the three. So, well, what I'm going to have to do is I'm either going to have to let them go or get, fire them or whatever you want to call it, or else they're, they're going to have to sell more. It's that simple. So it's right. like, okay, tell me how come Why? Right. Yeah. yeah. What's the issues or what, what issues do you think they're having? 
He said one of them is really bad at closing. One of them can't prospect for love nor money and can't find new clients. And the other guy makes a mess of presentations. So I said, okay, these are three areas that we can help you with because I can make them present better. And right. not only can I make them present better, I can, I can help them find better clients to present better too. And when they present better, the closing piece won't be so much of a, a big deal right. because they'll, they'll want to buy it. Right. And you go, that sounds really straightforward. And I said, it actually is really straightforward. And go back to what we were talking about on ROI. What's cheaper, firing three people and then hiring three people and onboarding them or fixing them? I exacerbated them? the problem, Zach. I did exacerb- right. exacerbate his issue by saying that to him. I said, like, my wife works in recruitment, which she does, by the way. And I said to him, I know how expensive recruitment fees are, placement fees are. So, so if you have to replace them, you're going to have to pay a fee. You're going to have to have a lead time before they get trained up. And you're still going right. to have to employ me, by the way, or somebody like me. Right. Um, but you're also going to have this lead time between them learning the business and them selling the product and amount of product you want. Right. Let's look at minimizing the, the risk for right now. And if it doesn't work out still, then we have another issue. But we focused on those three salespeople. And he's come back to me and said, listen, can you train the other sales, seven salespeople? Right. It's a different <laughs> but my point is, going to him, yes, he knew he had a problem. Right. But he probably didn't understand the gravity of the problem. And he wasn't thinking about how to solve it. And he wasn't thinking about the costs involved and all of this. And, and you clarified things for him. You see, that's why that's where I don't. Of course, I had a sales piece bolted right. on at the end. But for me, the, the initial reason why he bought into me was I'm asking him, tell me about your business. Tell me about your right. salespeople. Tell me about whatever it is. And that worked well because I'm now listening to him. As I always explain to salespeople. If you ask a good question to a client and you listen to the answer, when you start talking, they are more likely to listen to you as well. It's really simple stuff. It's not yep. nothing complicated about it. And I'm not saying uh, that happens every time. But. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you the other thing I like about good questions is if you ask the right question to a customer, prospective customer, you can show him that you understand his business problems. Not by answering the question, by asking the question. You know, I I always like to have one or two questions that I know that if I ask them, the client or the customer is going to understand that I really understand his workflow, possibly better than his boss or his wife, right? And when I ask those questions... Then, you know, then our discussion gets from a point like, well, this isn't just an idiot salesman. This is an idiot salesman who understands my workflow. Right. And it's not even a salesman anymore because you're now you're now. Right. Now you're an advisor, because if you ask the right question, you're now in a position to advise him because he's like, okay, yep, they know they know what I'm talking about. It's like my bridge line. I use this bridge line that I call the bridge line in my sales training. And, and, and the bridge line is basically when you've established reports and you're having a great relationship with somebody and you say, and you use the words, based on what you've told me, we can help. And the based on what you right. told me is really important because obviously it links back to what you've said before. And it, it, it's it's also something I use. Is, I don't think I've ever seen the movie called Ted. There was a movie called Ted a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's not about the movie, but specifically. But those three letters are really important. I train people about using the three letters. T for tell me about. So tell me about your business. Tell me about you. Tell me about what your challenges are. E for explain. So explain to me what you're trying to achieve achieve through sales right. training or whatever it might be. And the last one is D, which is describe. So describe to me what your ideal solution is. Now, when you use those three questions together, 
you're building a great relationship, but you're also leading the conversation for the to the D one to be able to say, well, here's how we can help you. Right. And I find that really, really effective, actually. Yeah, no, I, I think I think you're exactly online there, right? Yeah, cool. We're we're cutting the same cloth sack, I think. <laughs> I think I think so. Look, you know what? If you if you've been doing if you've been selling successfully for thirty years, you learn a few things, and um, in a lot of ways, you're gonna be leaning in the same direction, right? Because you can pick up some type of a fancy fad. And it'll get you through a year or two of being successful. But it comes down to fundamentals. When you when you do, you know, when you do this for 30 years, you're dealing with fundamentals, right? Yeah, big time. Yeah, absolutely. Big time. Yeah. It's- Great. So what are some of the most fun shows or the most interesting shows you've you've dealt with or been involved with? Yeah, I worked I worked on a couple of fun ones actually. I worked on um, I don't know whether you have it, well, you probably have it in the US called Top Gear. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I worked on the first Top Gear in Ireland where, where Top Gear and the whole TV production crew were brought to Ireland to create an exhibition right. around supercars. And it was just a phenomenal, uh, a spectacular event to work on. Just right. seeing the whole the whole supercar thing come together, seeing these absolutely dynamite cars walk, driving into the wow. venue, and then seeing the racing went, went on with it. There was, there was a fabulous event to work on. Um, I also worked on a, a, an event called the Rugby Show. We're very passionate about rugby yep. as a sport. Uh, I set that up myself. Really passionate about that. And what I suppose what I love about that is it brings together different people's passions and right. really enjoying what you do. Um, yeah. I've, I've worked on, I've worked on, I think, about three or 400 shows I've sold on. Um, some of them are boring, if I'm honest with you. Some of them just don't excite me. But listen, yeah, different things excite different people. So I Exactly. And I'll tell you what, like, a lot of it for me, the show, you know, I've been, I, I go to some boring shows, but the people are, you know, I, I'm going to see friends there, right? I'm going to see people, yeah. I'll do business, that kind of thing. Um, medical shows are interesting because there's always a surrealistic moment in a medical show, right? Like you're walking down the hallway and there's like, you know, I, I, I they'll have these devices that they use for nursing homes to pick people up from a bath, oh, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So suddenly you'll be walking down the hallway and you'll see they're picking up women in bikinis with with, with these claws, right? And you'll turn the corner and somebody's using a laser to slice steaks and you turn the corner and it's always interesting stuff at a medical show, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah, 100%. I've worked on a few medical shows myself and it's it's, definitely, they're always very impressive because the medical companies tend to have a lot of money as well. Certainly pharma companies have a lot of money. And when right. it comes to investing in trade, like there's nothing more I love than seeing a really well-built, fabulous-looking stand at a show. Now, I do appreciate yeah. it's the cost involved in that, but shows like that get me excited because it's opportunity. I mean, I, I don't tend to work with small companies, and I don't mean that in a right. negative way. Right. They can't tend to catch, catch forward to put No, I, I, I get that completely, yeah. There's one show I go to a lot in Germany in Dusseldorf called Medica. Right. That's like my my you know high school reunion type show. I go to that every year. I see hundreds of friends. And um, I want to say they have 17 buildings. Yeah. And a few years ago, a fair amount of time, eight or 10 years ago, they opened up some new buildings and they were trying to get some of the big vendors to move to the new buildings. Yeah. So they gave them a lot of cheap space to move yeah. to a new building. So there was this one company that had 
a booth probably like 50 meters by 25 meters. Yeah. And then they built a three-story building. They built like a garden and then they oh, built yeah, yeah, yeah. a three-story building in the middle of it. It was just mind boggling, right? Because yeah. the space was, you know, they probably got that space for a third of the normal cost. And inside the building, they had a restaurant that served steaks and stuff like that. It was pretty impressive. Yeah, see, the thing about it is, and that's that's one thing we need to be cautious of with with regard to, and I always say this to clients because there's no point in hiding behind the truth. If right. you're taking what they call a free build stand, so in other words, you're just taking the space on the floor and nothing else, if you're right. building your own stand, what you spend with the organizer would be a third of what you're going to spend overall right. on average. Right. And a lot of salespeople will hide behind that. And whereas yeah. for me, I'm much more upfront and say to the client, okay, you've got to spend 10 with me. It's got to cost you 30, whatever. But here's what we're going to do for your 30, and here's how it's going to work. Because there's no point of pretending to them that it's not going to cost that because it is. Right. And the reality is you've got to set the expectation right in exhibitions. I work yeah. with salespeople who will go in and I, I do face-to-face -face calls with some in London and I, I'd go into meetings with them and they they tell the client, oh, you're going to get 150 inquiries. So you can't say that for starters. Right. And second of all, they'll also sell them a ridiculously big stand that the client doesn't need. Now, the, the issue there is he's not coming back. I prefer somebody to take a smaller stand and grow with the show every year rather than somebody who's I, just for the sake of it. I was just saying to somebody yesterday that I I am very careful not to sell people stuff they don't need. Absolutely. Because it, it, in the long run, over the course of time, it always comes back to haunt you, exactly. right? And it's much better to say to somebody – you know, this, this is too much sand for you. This is going to be a waste of money for you. Um, I, I'll tell you what, I've worked for any number of different sized companies and I've, I've shared booths. I've gone to trade shows and set up in a coffee. Like I've gone to the show and set up in a coffee shop and not had a booth because I was with a startup that year and it was the best way to do business. Um, I've got, but I've also had giant, like I've had giant booths with six rooms, right? So it depends what you can do and what's going to achieve your objectives, like you said from the very beginning, right? It is. It's critical because, you see, it's it's like taking a ridiculously big stand year one or forcing somebody to do that, That that's not strategy. Right. It's just trying to get a sale across the line. And listen, we're all in sales. We all, right. I think if you, if, you want it to, if you want to be in sales and have longevity and have 30 years like I have and you have and right. more, whatever length of years, and to get people to come back to you, you sell them what they need, not what not what you need. You sell them what they need. And, and you got to make sure your salespeople know that too. Because if you're compensating them only on today's sale, yeah. and you're not teaching them about the company's values, then why shouldn't they screw over customers? Right? You, you got to teach them. Around, Zach, I I, ch I, ch I would ch I would charge my salespeople when I had my team. I, I would charge my salespeople how many clients they got, not how many square right. meters of exhibition space they sell. Right, exactly. And and, it, and that's a fair way to do it because you're going to make money from those clients next year and the year after. So you want to make sure that you're fairly compensating your sales staff and you're not giving them an incentive to do something that goes against your business interests, right? And and they and if they're 22, they might not understand that they're doing something against their business interests. So you got to help them. They look right. short term, you see. I mean, they're, they're looking exactly. At, they're thinking in the short term, possibly, right? 
you know, at the end of the day, if we run businesses. I mean, I run a business and I've, I've got to look at the reality of the business. As in, like, it's not me getting a, a sales training order or an exhibition order for this month. Yeah, of course, that's great. But right. it's about what happens next month. It's about the, the client coming back. Is that coming back? Say, listen, it was great. Really enjoyed right. it. It worked really well. Now I want you to train another part of my team because... Because that's what business is about. It's not about a once-off. Well, and you think about the world, right? So let's say you have a VP of sales who today works for one company and tomorrow works for another company. And he says, okay, now I have 12 new people to train. Who was it that I used before? Because he was really good. Ah, I'll call him, right? And that's how you make your money. That happened to me when I set up my business. Originally, I worked with UBM. It's that big company I was telling, telling you about. And the girl who took me on from UBM went to work in another company. She took me there. She went to work in another company. She took me there. Right. In fact, I only got an email yesterday saying she's moved for a fourth time. And she said, I'll be taking you there as well. So listen, yeah. you never know where those conversations are going. Oh, yeah. I um, I work with a guy who who his specialty is shipping to, to, to exhibitions. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, and that's what he's he's good at. I've worked with him, I want to say, for six different companies over the years because he's a specialist he's good yeah so every time i change company and and having left those companies the companies still work with him right yeah exactly. so, so good. you know he got my business 30 years ago 25 years ago and he still has business now from five or six different companies that because he he was a he provided good service to me you know that's just amazing so I want I want to thank you. I want to uh, round things up because I don't want to take up too much of your time. How do people find you? I, I know you, know, you you can just look up the exhibition guy on LinkedIn, <laughs> but is there a better way? Yeah, you can get me through my website, which I've just finalized again, through theexhibitionguy.com, Zach, or certainly please do connect to me. Love connecting on LinkedIn um, and sharing content. So you can get me at theexhibitionguy.com or on LinkedIn at any stage. Uh, Great. Absolute pleasure as always, Zach. You're, an, you're a gentleman. Thank you very much. It's it's a lot of fun. I'll tell you what. This is a, this is the best part of my week is to to talk with somebody who you know has something interesting to talk about and uh, and we can really get into some interesting subjects. Uh, thank you all very much for for joining us. Uh, the three dedicated listeners I have out there at this point, <laughs> or whoever else is listening, I hope you found this uh, helpful. Uh, trade shows and exhibitions a huge part of doing a good job with your uh, international sales growth and join us next time for more conversations that drive international sales.